0: back to the First Touch podcast. I am Tyler Brooke, joined alongside Nate Canaan. Uh, Nate, how's it going over there?
1: Going all right, uh, and you're coming back here to Chicago soon. I'm excited to uh, have you back. Are you ready to be back in the uh, city life and leave uh, Indiana behind you a little bit?
0: Yeah, the, the country's nice for a little bit, or the farmland, you could say. What do they call it? They call it the heartland in Indiana. Um, but honestly, yeah, just excited to get back. Uh, to city life or as normal of city life as it can be Uh, and obviously see you man I guess I guess that'll be fine Uh, just someone else to watch soccer with I'll tell you what uh, being with the family in Indy uh, my dad could not give less of a shit about soccer (laughs) so I'm just watching by myself pretty much every single day
1: You, you didn't get him to become a Liverpool fan
0: no we taught him what a red card was and he was honestly flabbergasted he we're like you get sent off and you can't be replaced he's like what So that we got like at least slight interest, but you know, we'll convert him one day. He's just not much of a sports fan in general.
1: Yeah, that's kind of how my dad is. My dad is a sports fan, but he's more of a baseball guy. And every time I turn on soccer, whenever I'm around him, and like he has watched me play soccer since I was young, he still has no idea what is going on. But that's okay. That's why we have the First Touch podcast to help introduce Americans out there to the world's game. So this is a good place to start if you just want to hear about some of our cripes about what we're going to be going into about uh, VAR. I didn't want to talk about Tottenham this week, but I'm forced to. I know you guys, some of you out there are probably bored of hearing about my fandoms, but there was a lot of controversy going on this week, so be sure to stick around for the later part of the episode when we dive further into uh, what's going on in the State of the Union with the video-assisted referee, otherwise known as VAR. And after
0: a rant about VAR, be sure to stay tuned. We will cover our regular segments of Around the Net. We got a couple good ones this week. I'll be bringing back my bed of the week. Uh, and then our absolute favorite, pub of the week. Pub of the week, baby. Before we get into that, definitely wanted to cover you know some of the matches recently. I do want to talk a little bit about Liverpool, considering how strange... This ride has been since Project Restart. You know, I got to spend the birthday watching Liverpool uh, utterly dominate Brighton, which was nice. You know, they scored two goals in the first eight minutes of the match, uh, ended up winning that one pretty handily, Uh, and then come right back and draw to Burnley. Now, all the respect in the world to Burnley. I think Nick Pope is potentially one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and I'm willing to say that, but... Liverpool's just been so inconsistent since the restart. I think just knowing that you're going to win probably takes a little bit of the mental edge off uh, Win the league, sorry. I think knowing that you're going to win the league probably puts you in a different mental state uh, coming back uh, from the shutdown. But still, man, it's weird watching a team that was the most dominant in the premier league start struggling.
1: Yeah, that's, that's what I want to ask. Like, how are you feeling about the way that the team is playing right now? Because personally, I don't really think it's necessarily a bad thing the way that Liverpool's I- I- is performing right now. Of course, they had the great match that you mentioned on your birthday against Brighton, but whenever they are held to a team like Burnley, I the whenever I'm watching this team on the field, it's a little bit of a different Liverpool. And I'm not talking about in terms of like style, formations or pace of play. I just think that they're giving more of their bench, a deeper opportunity to, you know, use those legs. I think that they still want to win, but I think they're also, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm seeing a lot more players get a lot more time on the pitch than they otherwise normally have, because there's not as much on at at stake right now. And I think they're trying to ensure that their future stars or their just future players in general have a little bit more of a sea legs to what actual the pace of play in the premier league is like.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a good, Opportunity for them to see what these young guys got. Most notably, we've been seeing a lot of uh, Nico Williams on defense and then Curtis Jones in the midfield. Two young guys that have been playing you know, pretty well. But you can see there's a couple times where there's lapses and then it ends up you know, biting them in the rear end.
1: So it's an interesting place for Liverpool to come in. Obviously, I don't think that anyone ever wants to go into a game with the expectations that you're going to lose the game, but there's so many weeks still left to play and I, I use weeks and asterisks I, I should say more so match days if this was a regular schedule there would be still several weeks more than a month and a half left to play in a regular Premier League season and it's quite outstanding we, we know that uh, Liverpool clinched the league faster than any team has uh, done before so they have all of these matches left to play so they do have a lot of influence on how the remainder of the table stands out. And I don't know if even that kind of thought goes into like how they're going to prepare for these future matches.
0: Well, I know Klopp said that he had no intention of you know letting off the gas, essentially. I think he did have the intention of trying to break records. I think they still can break the points record, so I'm very excited to potentially see that. It's funny that Liverpool, before the shutdown was the most dominant team, but now we have one uh, I wasn't really expecting coming back from Project Restart, and that's been Manchester United. I mean. Yeah,
1: Manchester United definitely is worth talking about here, especially a couple of the uh, stars that they have on their pitch right now.
0: I'm scared, man. I'm scared for next year. That team is so damn talented. Uh, they're young. I think the back line could use maybe a little tweaking, but when you look at all those guys making plays, specifically Bruno Fernandez and Mason Greenwood you pair them with all that talent in the midfield and up front. And I mean, you can see it already. They're just blowing out teams.
1: So I'm going to say something that might be a bit of a hot take, but Bruno Fernandes at this time should be in the contingency for the Ballon d'Or. And here's why. So this is something that is unique. I would say to European soccer, it is a trophy otherwise known as the golden ball that is awarded every season to the player who did the best that year, essentially. Not the best statistically, but who was the best all-around footballer in that year that made a huge impact for their club, country, everything that's around it. Bruno Fernandes, he is coming out like wildfire and really making a huge impact to this Manchester United team that didn't have a great start to their season. And I don't think they would be in the position that they're at if they didn't have someone like this on their side of their team. And we got to even talk about the impact that he also has for Portugal. He's a uh, He plays on the Portuguese national team. Obviously, he stands out alongside CR7. Cristiano Ronaldo also plays for that team as well. And he's able to make a huge impact on that side, too. He doesn't just fall into the background like a normal other day player would be.
0: Yeah, I don't think he's going to win it. I think he deserves some kind of recognition in that conversation, I just simply think he hasn't played long enough for United to earn that award yet. Could he next year? I definitely think there's a real possibility. But I mean, he's such a catalyst for that team. They already broke a record. They were the first Premier League team to ever win four consecutive games in a row by three or more goals. Like, think about just that sheer dominance since Project Restart. And he's in the front of it, man. You see these free kicks he's launching into the goal. You see how he's distributing. He's so much better than I ever thought he would have been when he got transferred in. And I think, you know, with him and Pogba in the midfield, uh, you look again at guys like Rashford, Greenwood, Martial. that's a team that genuinely could fight for the top spot in the Premier League next year.
1: Yeah. And just talking more about Bruno, his statistics for this season, 10 appearances, seven goals, six assists, and he only has one yellow card. So... Short amount of time, huge impact, and not that much of a reckless nature on the field with only one yellow.
0: Yeah. Again, I see what you're saying with the Ballon d'Or. Just props to him. He's completely turned that team around. I I can't say I'm excited as a Liverpool fan to see what happens, uh, but I can definitely respect
1: it. And I am very
0: interested to see what they can do next season.
1: Okay. And with that being said, we're going to talk about something that we gave as our trash of the week last week as our... Main focal point this week, let's talk about everyone's fan favorite, as we know of, VAR.
0: So on July 9th, all three Premier League matches were given incorrect penalty decisions, according to league officials after the fact. Man United and Southampton were awarded controversial penalties, while Tottenham was refused one. I get it. VAR has always been controversial, but especially since the beginning of project restart, it's felt exceptionally incompetent. I mean, the fact that every single Premier League match last Thursday uh, had an incorrect VAR decision uh, is just infuriating.
1: Why can't they get this right?
0: I don't know. Like the essentially the whole point is technology is supposed to make this better, right? And, you know, we'll talk a little bit more on this. And there is some data theoretically from a couple of years ago that said that it improved things. But right now, it's just it's getting things flat out wrong. Like we're taking the time to review these. Watched one on Sunday of Crystal Palace and Aston Villa where there seemed like an inconsequential. They claimed a handball it hit him on his shoulder for a goal and it was called back. It just seems like VAR is getting in the way more than it's actually helping right now. And it's just it's driving everyone insane.
1: Yeah, even Arsenal's manager came out to say that we need to have a conversation in the off season about how VAR works. He says that he just doesn't understand the ruling system behind it. And I think that's the same thing uh, that a lot of people are having because it's just so inconsistent. It's missing calls. It's making up calls. It, I don't really understand why it is this difficult as someone that's grown up playing soccer, as well as watching it, the referee does add a little bit of an element to the game. It feels almost as if, um, I don't know, Tyler, if you've ever watched like WWF wrestling back in the day or anything like that, I'm sure we have a couple of FTFC fans out there that, that listen to this, but the comparison that, that I'm making between like soccer and WWF, it's the WWF is like a spectacle or WWE now, excuse me. And, like, there's always this kind of what's the referee seeing, not seeing, and that can dictate those wrestling matches. It's kind of what soccer used to be before the whole VAR. If the ref caught something, if the ref saw something, it could change a little bit of the game. It's a little bit different than what we have here in America with, like, just the way that basketball is monitored or football or even hockey. I know baseball is slowly starting to change in turn. Uh, with more video cameras um, away from the old school, like refereeing and umpiring uh, that are out there. With this VAR system, since it's not consistent, it really doesn't serve any good to the game and it's frustrating a lot of people. Uh, It it just kind of makes the pace of play so much slower than it already is now, especially in the premier league where there's water breaks every half now because of the, of COVID precautions with, with this, it just makes a lot of the games that I'm seeing play a little bit more like pinball wizard games where there's not as many uh, good, good as um, a flowing motion kind of finesse type games. And it's just a little frustrating to watch. And I can understand why these coaches are upset and mad because they just don't know how to coach to this or manage these teams where the game itself is kind of at jeopardy of just shifting into something that they don't know what it will be, but doesn't really seem like anybody likes where it's going.
0: I I think as an American sports fan, the thing I see is the biggest difference between VAR and, you know, replays in other sports. And again, this might just be because I'm not the most knowledgeable fan as far as rules go. But the rules in soccer seem so much more subjective than, let's say, American football. Uh, and I don't want to get into a discussion of what is a catch. We don't have to do that. But when you see, you know, is someone's knee down or did the ball drop? Like those are pretty concrete things you can prove in in review. With soccer, it's like, did that guy do something warranting a penalty? And then the rules are like, eh, kind of, I don't know.
1: And then we just have these controversies. It's not weekly anymore. It's pretty much daily. It's every single match it feels at this point. Uh, Like I I know we've been talking about since Project Restart, the very first game where the ball crossed the line and the sensor didn't go off. And again, it, it just blows my mind that like our own eyeballs are unable to make that ruling the judgment call because we're relying so much on the technology of VAR and different systems of that. So like, you know, this is going to be a ludicrous question. So what happens if the sensor goes off and the balls in the middle of the, of the field, Are we then going to say like, oh, no, it's a goal. Like, no, like, of course, we're going to say like, hey, the ball didn't cross the line or X, Y and Z didn't happen. Clearly, the ball's in play. No goal happened. But then why aren't we going back and backing up like actual rules of things that we can witness and see? It's just infuriating. And I I don't like what. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think it's fascinating to me because VAR
0: has taken years off of our lives collectively. And yet it's only been around
1: in the Premier League for two seasons. So we're talking a lot about it and it is taking like this. This episode is focused on something that we could be a lot more fun to talk about. But I do think that it doesn't need to be this broken of a system. I think it does serve a purpose, and it comes with good intentions. And of course, we we un- we know one of the phrases is the path to hell is paved with good intentions. But there is no good intentions a- outside of this. I I think there's w- what they could start implementing if they wanted to change the way this VIR situation works is maybe make it more so like how our hockey works, for example. So say like uh, I know a team will challenge a rule on the ice if like a goal happens. So also very similar to like a coach's challenge, I would assume in football, if that challenge doesn't work, then say like if they You'll go back and challenge. they review something, yeah. you you lose something. So maybe you could lose a substitution, Maybe something along those lines to make it a bit more on the line for these teams. Because if we're leaving into the hands of this objective overall all-seeing robot eye that is manned by a person, and we all know humans are flawed as well, it just isn't really working in this iteration. I think it should be a little bit more so in the hands of the actual management of both of the teams on the field. They can request to have these VAR rulings whenever they don't agree with what they're seeing and that way we can have a more flowing game that we don't have to stop and have these insane stoppage times add. The Tottenham game had 12 minutes of extra time added on to the end of the game for how much they were stopping it. I've in all my years of watching soccer, I've heard of Games having the, these huge amounts of stoppage time, but you very rarely see them. Like I would say, maybe on average, you probably get about five minutes or so. I, I'm sure we could look up a statistic and find the actual answer, but I promise you it's not over 10 minutes of extra time.
0: That's a really good point you mentioned about having the managers potentially be the ones that call upon VAR. That would, I think, A, you know, speed up the game. There would be so much, many fewer stops. B, just having some consequences to that too add some intrigue for sure. I think the thing to point out about that is, you know, this is still a work in progress. As far as the first early iterations of VAR, that actually began in 2010. It wasn't even approved by the International Football Association board and actually written into the rules of soccer until 2018, right before the World Cup. Again, it only made its way to the Premier League and the Champions League two seasons ago, uh, if you're including this year. So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of ways this can be changed, ideally in the future. And I would hope the officials kind of embrace the change and know that it is a work in progress
1: do you get a I do you forget the inclination that maybe there's something more nefarious afoot here you uh, football is um, is known to have a little bit of things going high going on behind the scenes and shady alleyways or behind the curtain so to say do we think that there's maybe a var conspiracy going on of where these rulings are coming from, or is it just that there's just not a rule book of how to have this stuff be more consistent and effective for the players? What's your take on that? Is it more so that people are just incompetent and not sure how this technology works and how to use it efficiently? Or is there a possibility that something more nefarious might be afoot where there might be a backroom deal or somebody might be getting uh, you know, cash out of hand out of something? I mean, as a podcast between just the two of us, I'm more
0: than happy to put on my Alex Jones voice and just go on a whole rant without (laughs) any evidence that there is a deep state conspiracy about V.A.R., Rigging every game in the world. Unfortunately, I don't have any evidence to back that, so I'm not, I'm gonna pass on that. I think there's a possibility, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying that we have to jump into a conspiracy. I was just kind of uh, wondering of your opinion because yeah. personally, I don't think that it's going to be that big of a conspiracy. But with that being said. There has been actual reports. You can look up articles from the New York Times. You just do a simple Google search about corruption in the FIFA organization. There has been confirmed uh, ticket buying or lottery buying of bids for the Russian bid where the World Cup was just at, and the upcoming Qatar uh, World Cup in 2020. You could also just Google set bladder, and then I think we'll be good on that. If you need to prove that there's corruption
0: in FIFA, I'm gonna go with the side that it is just incompetence because i know a lot of people think that var is just you know some robot eye in the sky like you said but it is is video assistant referee it is still a person that's just trying to use technology to potentially make a different call and the one that always blows my mind i'll never forget having a conversation uh, at aj hudson's about this when they're doing var on offsides And they're like, it's just some guy moving those lines. And if you've watched a game where they're doing the offsides, you'll see the lines of the players and they'll start mapping them out. I thought it was some computer that was automatically doing that on the screen. It turns out it's just
1: some guy in the booth just moving lines around. And that's just, it's insane to me. So funny that you bring that up because I was literally just about to say that if you watch the offsides rolling and you pay attention to how those like where they're marking the attacking player where they're marking the defending player where they're standing at it's not science it's not it's not that perfect algorithm that is watching exactly where their last little baby toe is standing and potentially marking people off they're probably also feeling under intense pressure of like thousands if not millions of people watching them too it's like oh shit i gotta hurry up and do this and make sure i do (laughs) this right and i I they're just not getting it right unfortunately. So I don't know if they just need to slow down, but then again, that's it's it's perpetuating that whole system of not making this a good flowing game. The longer that they take, the longer that it's going to take away from the the flow of the game and here we are again and it's just spiraling into a whole lot of nonsense.
0: There's a great example of that, you know, flow of the game argument back in 2019 with the Women's World Cup. Obviously, we've talked about before, we watched a bunch of those games. VAR was a Fucking shit show that whole time. They were using VAR for pretty much anything and nothing at the same time. There were minor infractions they were using VAR to look at. I remember there was some obscure rule about where the goalie was going to take a free kick and they had to use VAR for that. And then they were letting like potentially major errors just slide by. Like there was no rhyme or reason for using VAR. It noticeably slowed the game down, which is a bummer because I loved watching the women's team. They they're just so utterly dominant. But when the games just started, you know, on and off, on and off, on and off, it was driving me crazy.
1: Yeah, I remember watching that. It really just felt like a science experiment VAR. But then again, are we surprised? Just another way to dictate what women can and can't do, right? Oh, my gosh man i uh
0: hopefully we can get a women's player on here soon uh, i would love to do an episode about the women's. oh absolutely team.
1: yeah that's something that we need to be shouting from the rafters is how strong of a presence that our uh, women's players are in this country just talking about so like for example even just a team like the chicago red stars the just the women's professional team here in chicago like they have a lot of great players and some of those also represent like our country our our women's team is so strong and all of those players and all those women's that definitely need to be uh champions within this country. And they are. They are and they deserve it. They just deserve a little bit more publicity and a little bit more money. We'll say that here. Hot take for some, but now they they deserve to have equal pay, if not more. Pay them more than the men. Like, <laughs> they it
0: deserve just, it. They're a lot better. They're so <laughs> much better. I do want to bring up what you I feel like we're just piling on VAR. And I do want to bring up one positive point of data I found a team of sports scientists in Belgium actually studied VAR use for over two years uh, over multiple leagues. Uh, And they did actually show that VAR improved the accuracy of potentially match changing referee calls from 92% to 98%. And I think at the end of the day, when you're doing like a cost benefit analysis of VAR, like is that 6% worth it?
1: What do you think? When I hear you say that, there's a lot of things that go through my mind, and it's a, both a yes and a no answer. And that's pr- why we have these VAR conversations, because it, it's infuriating, but it does make sense. 6% doesn't sound like a lot, but when it's from 92 to 98%, clo- that's closing on a huge margin that almost makes it a 100% accurate uh, game. However, where the is-it-worth-it-no... There's so many iconic moments in professional football from decades and decades that are all on questionable calls. Um, one, uh, uh, there's a movie out I, I highly recommend. It's a Maradona, Hand of God. I think it came out in the early 2000s that talks about Argentina and uh, I think it was the 92 World Cup where Maradona scored a goal and from the angles that the referee saw and our cameras saw, it was either going off of his head or off of his hand. And that's secured the win of them for that game was that handball goal. Would that have flown in 2020 soccer? Absolutely not. And we would have easily forgotten about it. And now, you know, there's movies and, and and things about that. And that's just where I just got to say, like, I'm, I'm kind of willing to take the lower percentile of better calls because It's going to give us more moments that we can remember, talk about, laugh about, swear about if it's a call that we don't like, because what's ended up happening is whenever a wrong call was made before VAR, yes, we could scapegoat that referee, chastise and put a curse on him and his family and his future born children, as terrible as that is, but we can see that real person and I think there is a little bit of empathy there where we can understand that they're going to make a mistake. But what is absolutely unacceptable what's happening is now that we have this all-seeing eye that's still manned by a real person, we're not able to give that same level of empathy, right? Because it's to increase the accuracy of these calls. But in that margin of error is so much, it feels, even though it is closing the gap and almost making it 100%, that last 2%, when it gets it wrong, it gets it so wrong. My final take on it is that, yes,
0: I think it's far from perfect, and I do think we need to continue working on correcting issues with VAR. But at the end of the day, I think ultimately what it is in place for is preventing the, the truly egregious misses that a ref might miss. Because uh, with replay, you know you can see those blatant ones that were just completely missed by the ref because he was either not looking or he was distracted. Uh, as a green bay packers fan in the nfl i'm still traumatized by the replacement referees making the wrong call on the fail mary and instead of us winning a game losing a game on the final play i know that trauma <laughs> that can bring for fans and i just i wouldn't wish that on any fandom especially if it was just an official ruining a game
1: I know this was the last thing you wanted to say about VAR, but I do think you know since our podcast is making about comparisons within American sports to European sports, that feeling that you have of that failed Mary pass, uh, you've told me about it before. I think we've might have watched a video clip of it once. I I really don't know because I don't really follow the NFL. I know what that feeling is like, and we're getting that every single week often multiple times in a week because there's so many more soccer games than there are football games, like American football games. Whereas you might have that failed Mary, maybe like once a season, maybe a couple of times. I don't know how many you would say, maybe about just a handful of them. However, it just kind of feels like right now we started off this segment, how in one day there was three terrible calls happening, right? Three calls that should have been awarded a penalty and two non-penalties that were called. We're experiencing this multiple times every single day now in in the world of soccer.
0: That feeling. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I would just wish that we could work on fixing VAR instead of getting rid of it. And that's my take.
1: Uh, Yeah, of course. Of course there, there's gotta be a happy medium somewhere. And that's where starting these conversations, like even that you and I are having in the fandom, because, it trickles up back to them. And like, again, like there's managers out there saying that we need to have a conversation about what we're doing with VAR. And I haven't heard of anything officially from the league yet of if they're, they're going to have that, but if they're getting pressure from not only fans, but also the teams themselves, I can't imagine them continuing on without listening. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. hundred percent. Could not agree more. Uh, My parting note was just, you know, fuck VAR for the time being until we get (laughs) it fixed.
1: All right. And I know that was a riveting VAR conversation that you just heard us have. I assure you, this probably won't be the last time we bring up VAR, but it was worth talking about this week considering. Um, so let's hop into one of my favorite segments, and I know Tyler's as well, around the net. Uh, so Tyler, have you been watching any MLS? Yeah have watched a little bit it, it's different with
0: there's so many premier league matches by the time they're over i'm just you know kind of worn out i don't want to watch a random game at nine o'clock at night
1: honestly such a different feeling because i'm so accustomed to watching a game before noon yeah to have something on that's like i'm like oh dang i'm watching soccer at 9 p.m it's just so interesting soccer after dark i can just hear the uh the jazz piano and saxophone now
0: <laughs> speaking of mls uh there's some now questions. Things that are getting a little dicey in return to play in Orlando. Uh, Toronto FC versus DC United was actually postponed on Sunday. There was one unconfirmed positive COVID test and one inconclusive one uh, that came out like minutes before that game was supposed to take place and they just shut it down. Uh, it's the first time, I believe, in American pro sports post-lockdown that we've had to call off a pro sporting event.
1: Yeah, I don't know if these bubbles are going to work. I just don't know... If they're going to work here um, in the continental United States, uh, we're starting to see even with like the NHL and their return to play strategy, they're not allowed to disclose health conditions, which I think is really interesting because we want to be more transparent with people's health and well-being during this time. But I know we can do this right because we're seeing it like the Bundesliga successfully wrapped their season. The Premier League is still continuing on without having major issues. I know there was concerns, and I believe they had to uh, watch in the city of Leicester. When it comes to what we're doing here, I don't know, man. It's just Florida is just spiking. and <laughs> Why did we choose Florida, man? Why did we choose Florida as the haven for
0: our sports? Is it
1: like Disney makes dreams come true, something like that? Like, I've been dreaming of MLS. Like, I don't know, man.
0: We're trying to copy we're trying to copy the European model for these bubbles, but Europe for the most part, Europe has this somewhat under control. And meanwhile, our cases are like record highs every day.
1: And like you think about like NBA. They've been on hold for the last four months. They also got to go into this bubble as well. I can imagine how difficult that would be, like leaving your family after all this time and then having to go back and isolate yourself into a work zone and I, I don't know like they are getting paid multiple millions of dollars mls maybe multiple hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh, i want to make a quick point of that i thought it was hilarious portland Trailblazer star damian lillard posted on instagram saying bye to his family and he said i feel like i'm about to do a bid as <laughs> he's just getting <laughs> sent off to orlando like it's prison to go play basketball it's like that scene in space jam Where, like, if Michael Jordan had lost, like, that's what they're essentially proposing to these players in Orlando. Well, we can talk about some more entertaining things uh, instead of bumming everyone out with COVID. um, Dortmund star Erling Haaland got thrown out of a club in Norway. That's pretty fun. Um, He's only 19 years old. I guess I had to look this up. Technically, you can drink beer and wine at 18 in Norway. But apparently most bars, I think the requirement is twenty twenty one. We don't have any context. You just Google it. There's a video of him getting thrown out of the club. And, like, he's a kind of big dude, but at the end of the day, he's still a kid. That's just some wholesome content, you know, him just trying to have a good time in Norway and getting kicked
1: out of the club. He's got to be so recognizable in Norway. I I can get that, like, maybe they just didn't turn him away. Maybe it was a under-20, 21 bar because the... Hard liquor uh, drinking age is different, but I just, I, I don't know what he was doing that night, but I just like envision him like rolling up into this club and just sipping a nice Bordeaux and then just getting a little too rowdy and having to be escorted out. He's 19. He probably got way too drunk. I don't know. That's just, my that's guess. probably <laughs>
0: what happened. It's not my <laughs>
1: fantasy, but.
0: Hey man, Erling, Haland, You do you. You're about to be, you're already quickly becoming one of the biggest names in soccer. So I
1: don't know. Yes. Um, and moving on, let's talk a little bit of information related to all you posh spice fans out there. No, no, no. We're we're talking about her son, actually, um, the offspring of her and David Beckham. Brooklyn Beckham is actually uh, getting engaged. He is 21 years old, and I just thought this was um, just a little interesting in the world of what what we live in now in terms of like celebrities and social media. I, I follow David Beckham pretty heavily online just because I like seeing what he's still up to now that his playing career's done and he's investing into the MLS and like, he's still a bit of a fashion icon and, it's just nice following him. And then I found out this by him posting about it on his own social media. And of course, like his uh, soon-to-be daughter-in-law and his son, like all have social media. And it's just like a very interesting wave of like how nothing is private in celebrity dumb and kind of it just feels because like, I, I know Brooklyn has tried out like uh, for these younger youth teams and doesn't really seem to have as huge of a future in, in soccer as his father did. But it's just kind of interesting seeing like everything uh, being a little public, it just it just felt weird because I remember you know being younger and like hearing about like him and his family. And now you don't really like think about that stuff like, oh, like they're human, like milestones are being reached for them. And as I reflected on my age on my birthday uh, and then I see that David Beckham's
0: son is old enough to be engaged, uh, man, that's really sobering for me.
1: Yeah, you tied that together a lot better than I could have basically could have just said that in two sentences. But yep, I agree with you.
0: My the around the net subject I could not wait to talk about this week. Manu Fantoni Ward, a fifty-five year old, bet his entire inheritance of fifty five thousand pounds on Liverpool to win the league. I have so many questions about this. Nate, I know you're not big on gambling, and I kind of am. Never in my fucking life would I ever bet my entire inheritance on anything.
1: Crazy! I- I'm laughing at this because there's so much to unpack. The guy is 55 years old, making this huge bet—55,000 pounds—on a-, a team that's not Man U. What it's was- a rival.
0: I think the part that yeah. I think the part that just destroys me, like. You know, I'm a Liverpool fan. Like, awesome, we won the league. Two things about it. One, the payout was not great. It was four to six odds. Like, they were heavy favorites to win the league. Two, he got this inheritance from his mom, who was a diehard Manchester United fan. Like, you're just you're just shitting on your mom's grave to bet on the rival to win the league.
1: It was a safe bet though. Like he still came out like net positive over that, you know, like the payout wasn't huge. It wasn't one of those things where he, he tripled his profits. No, like he walked away with 55 to 91, which is still a win, but I guess it's a safe bet. You know, who, who would have not thought that Liverpool would have been uh, walking away the Champions of the Premier League this season. I know after you know my heart was broken in the champs League's final against them. I walked away from that match, assuming that Liverpool was going to win and dominate the league. Obviously, Man City gave them a run, shut them down. But it's just a lot to unpack. I wonder, you know, maybe he was just going through a lot, losing your mother. I can imagine it's a very difficult time. But just the, taking that large sum of money and then betting against your mom, like I, I, I wouldn't do that. I mean, not that I gamble in the first place, but like I'm just trying to play that scenario out of my mind. Even if I walked, like, let's remove Liverpool and put in an Arsenal for me, I'm not making that bet. Like, I don't <laughs> want that money. That's 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 dirty Arsenal money that I don't want.
0: Imagine how he felt during the lockdown. Like everything's on hold. You thought oh, you had it in the wedding every day. <laughs> like are they gonna play fuck just waking up every morning um shout out to him though he has some sound plans on what to do with his winnings he plans on traveling abroad and then putting the rest in his bank so you know what at least you're reasonable with your winnings i guess
1: hey hey, tony come through to chicago the ftfc will buy you a pint
0: yeah we'll happily do that we just need to hear your story man Moving on to the bet of the week, since we're talking about gambling, uh, I know we've been a little more absent about it. Uh, It's a little difficult when we record the previous weekend. You know, we want to make sure you guys have a couple days to listen to this episode uh, before the game we're talking about. Um, So we'll just start giving them a try to. If there's lines, great. If there's not, it's fine. This week's is going to be Saturday's match on Norwich versus Burnley. Uh, Whatever the over-under is, just take the under, man. Like, Norwich has been so... They've been emotionally defeated since before the restart. Every time I watch them, they all just look sad. And they've already, you know, clinched relegation. So congrats on that. There's just no fight in them anymore. And then meanwhile with Burnley, I know they scored a goal against Liverpool, but this is a pretty defensive oriented team. Uh, Nick Pope, their goalkeeper, leads the league in clean sheets. Uh, As long as the over under isn't set at like one and a half, uh, just take the under there. I think that's a pretty safe bet.
1: Alrighty, and now we're going to shift gears to everyone's favorite segment the pub of the week. Pub of the week! All right, okay, we got a cool submission here from a member of the FTFC out in Pittsburgh. We got Sam DeGregorio, he is giving a highlight to Piper's Pub. Piper's Pub is located at 1828 East Carson Street in Pittsburgh, PA. Uh, that's actually on the south side of Pittsburgh, as uh, many of our listeners know. That's my old uh, city hometown. South side is such a fun area. It's a huge strip of just bar after bar after bar. They're one of those bars on there. They describe themselves as a pub in Pittsburgh that features football, cask ale, whiskey, and damn good pub grub. Uh, Sam says it's the only place that he knows where you can get cask-style ale. That's the English style of hand pump beer. It's often served a little warmer. And their food's great. He recommends their scotched eggs for an appetizer and their shepherd's pie as one of their main course options. Uh, so a shout-out to the Piper's Pub there. If you find yourself in Pittsburgh and you're able to uh, stop through, tell them the FTFC sent you. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, Be sure to subscribe if you
0: haven't already. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts if you can. Uh, That does wonders for our search rank. We very much appreciate it. Um, Nate, anything else you got for the audience today?
1: Um, That's it. Uh, We will just leave you with how we always do with there is no room for racism.